Right. I appreciate it. Hi. Welcome to Ghostman Radio Station. My guest tonight is Greg Hansel, who used to be in the U.S. Guards, but uh, Coast Guards, and still is a reservist, and he does a lot of stuff for a lot of businesses. And he's here today to talk about his wonderful new book. And uh, Greg, I'm gonna, uh, Greg, I'm gonna ask you a few questions about your book. so much for letting me be on your, on your podcast here. I know you reach a lot of folks and, uh, you know, the, the book itself, I'll just tell you ahead of time, uh, none of the profits go to me. All the net proceeds will go towards um, solving veteran homelessness in the United States. Well, it's so. a very worthy cause, my friend, very worthy cause. Now tell me Thank about, tell, Craig, tell me about your background. So obviously what you've told a little bit about about your background, but how was your upbringing like? and then 
sometimes you need to make your way home. It was a couple mile walk sometimes. Um, or you can kind of wait for mom and dad to come grab you or, or get a ride home with somebody. So you were you were kind of left on your own to make sure you you got it done. And uh, that was that was a big thing for us, you know. You kind of God's given you the wherewithal to get things done, so you should uh, exercise that and you know be able to stand up on your own two feet. So we we, we got used to that at, at an early age. There was no one around to say, "Hey, make sure you get to the bus." Make sure you pack your lunch. Make sure you do your homework and get to practice and then get home and do it all again the next day. It was kind of left on us. So um, I think that was great for us. It, it kind of put a level of accountability on your shoulders at an early age. And uh, that really kind of carried through um, in our life, really, my life for sure. Obviously, you told me a little bit about being... Um in the Coast Guard. So tell me your progression from, say, being the cadet to where you are now. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and condense it because, you know, we're talking about a couple of decades there, Mark. But, uh, you know, I, I, uh, here in the U.S., right, you, you graduate from high school and then, you know, you generally kind of pick a university so you can get a, um, a degree of some sort and then leverage that out in the business world or wherever you're going to go. For me, I, I went to uh, the United States Coast Guard Academy. That was my undergraduate degree uh, in the university. And um, I had a kind of a business management major with almost like a minor in economics. And um, I played basketball in high school, as I mentioned, played basketball there at the Coast Guard Academy. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a leadership incubator. You know, the, the service academies are... And, you know, it's unlike a civilian university or college in that, you know, you're up at five, um, you're cleaning the barracks, you're in uniform, you're at attention, you know, three times a day, the noon kind of meal, you're at inspection, so you need to be inspection ready, shoes polished, uniform, good to go, um, and because you're taking five, six, seven classes a day, you know, you're doing homework well into the night. So kind of 10, 11, midnight, and then you're back up at five. So it's, it, it's a bit of a grind, but, um, you know, that's where probably almost two out of every three people end up leaving a service academy because if one of their family members, um, you know, was in the service, and so that's why they joined, that doesn't sustain them mark you know when you're when times get tough so you know i uh graduated from the coast guard academy in 1989 and then went to two ships back to back um 270 foot coast guard cutter on the east coast we went down into the caribbean and we did mainly drug law enforcement search to rescue um and some fisheries enforcement as we go kind of north up the coast on the east coast of the u.s and then we're stationed on a ship out in hawaii I thought, this is going to be great. We're out in Hawaii, you know, kind of patrol around the Hawaiian Islands. That's not where we went at all. We went up north in the Bering Sea and Gulf of Alaska. <laughs> and, you know, where there's a, just kind of a routine 12 to 15-foot swell all the time. When the weather starts to get bad, it's kind of 20, 25-foot seas. And uh, we did a lot of fisheries enforcement up there, right, to try and maintain the laws. And um, it, was, it was a great learning experience for me. Uh, certainly from a leadership 
to. Some of the senior enlisted folks, chief petty officers, senior chiefs, master chiefs, you know, took me under their wing and, and kind of taught me right from wrong from a military perspective, from a U.S. Coast Guard perspective. And then some of the petty officers, um, you know, that were on teams with me, uh, I learned a tremendous amount from as well, right? Because while the interesting thing about the military is, you know, if you enter as an officer, you're supposed to be in charge. You're, you're accountable. So if the team does a good job, then you ought to be able to say, you know, the team's done a very good job and, uh, you know, they get the credit. If there's a problem, then you're taking kind of the rounds in the chest uh, as the person who's ultimately accountable. So um, it was tremendous learning how to first follow and then lead, you know, and as you start to progress up the career, you know, it's um, it's interesting because um, you get more and more responsibility and you start to kind of work out some of the kinks and, and you understand how to start to develop people and try and get the most out of them while leading from the front. This isn't some kind of passive, this is full contact sport, you know, so to speak. So you're, you need to lead from the front. You need to set the example, do the right thing, you know, act with integrity, you know, show character. So, um, long story short, spent uh, 10 years, 11 years active duty, and then uh, got into General Electric, um, got recalled back to the Pentagon after September 11th. I was in the Expeditionary Warfare Office uh, in the Naval Coastal Warfare Program. Uh, the only Coast Guard person there under the tutelage of two great Navy captains, uh, Captain Tom D, Captain Tom Schaefer, uh, phenomenal people. And um, then, you know, so I'm General Electric, Johnson & Johnson, Merck. When I'm at Merck, um, the Deepwater Horizon rig down the, in the Gulf of Mexico explodes, and a lot of the reservists get called back to active duty. I was told to go offshore and work under the kind of the, the guidance and leadership of a lot of civilian folks down there who, um, who do a tremendous job uh, doing this day in and day out. So largest oil spill in the history of the, of the country, anyway, it could, could be the world. I mean, the, the oil itself is the size of Florida, the state of Florida, as it occupied the Gulf. So that was a senior-ranking uh, Coast Guard officer out there. Um, and learned a tremendous amount there, 127 ships. And uh, and then went back to Merck, and then Johnson & Johnson, sorry, and then AstraZeneca. Three of us left, AstraZeneca, Chief Procurement Officers, is kind of the CIO and I, and we started a business. We sold it to this former division of General Electric, and, and we're not period for that's done. But uh, now I'm, I'm managing director with Accenture, uh, a tremendous company, over 700,000 people, and I'm in the CFO advisory team. And uh, really loving it. So that's that's a, that's a career progression so far, Mark. There's there's still more to come, but I, I, I'm a young man, so uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, obviously, what inspired you to write your book? It's a great question, right? Leadership from the front lines. It's ten kind of leadership principles, Mark, with with a military example and a corporate example for each one. You know, chapter one, lead from the front. Chapter two, you know, how to develop your people. Uh, learn from failure quickly, you know, very quickly. You know, that's another chapter. But, you know, it was an interesting time during the pandemic where no commute, 
So I'm not commuting. I'm in, I'm in a CFO uh, advisory role at, at a company called Genpact. <laughs> Great company as well. Um, we're all quarantined. And I had kind of the, the outline for a, for a book as I was flying back and forth to, um, to customers. You know, I'd spend a certain amount of time on the plane just kind of sketching out an outline. And now with no commute on either end, I thought, all right, you know, maybe maybe this is the time to actually actually trying to boil this thing down into uh, into something that that's saleable. Um, so you know, the the framework I already had, but I thought, all right, you know, maybe maybe this is it. So kind of as the workday is extended on either end, I was uh, I just started applying a little more time there, and all of a sudden, you know, I've, I was able to kind of flesh this thing out, and, and we've got 10 salient points in there that hopefully, um, you know, will be something that helps folks. They're, they're little kind of small chunks, so you don't have to absorb the whole thing, uh, but, you know, you can get to a chapter, and you can take a look and hopefully get a nugget or two from each one. Well, obviously, as you said, because of the pandemic, do you think that during the pandemic, because we've changed our mindset slightly because we now think we now realize we're not immortal as we probably thought we were before the pandemic you know what i mean we did think we were slightly oh nothing could touch us blah 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 do you think that by reading your book as you say reading various chapters people can take a bit of the the snippets from it thinking oh that's how i can change my life to make my life a little bit better
Yeah, you know, obviously you have a very good connection with veteran homelessness. Yeah. Why is that? Have you? Why is there this connection? Sure, it, it's a it's a very good question as well, Mark. Uh, I was doing some work up in Chicago for a, um, a really well-known consumer products company uh, that's based downtown, and I had a team of people there with me. And you know, as I mentioned, I get up early and, and try and get a workout in, get down, meet with the team. We have some breakfast, but then it was it was a mile and a half walk or so to get to the office. And so I try and, you know, walk it each each day. A couple times we were running late or we, you know, we had to grab an Uber or something like that. But, you know, if you're on the street at 6 a.m., and these are during the months of like November, December, January, February. And, and if you've been to Chicago, those are some cold months there because the wind coming off the lake is, is, is crazy. But I, I met a few um, people. I'll try and keep it short, but I met some folks. I, I walked by them first, homeless folks that were outside. They've been outside all night, you know, minus 10, minus 20 with a wind chill. And... Uh, you know, I'm hustling in in the morning because it's still 6, maybe 6.30. Um, but, you know, you see them lying there in kind of a crack or a crevice inside a building and you know, on the outside of the building but trying to get away from the wind. And and then as I walked by and I kept going, I noticed that a couple of them were laying on signs that said, like, homeless veteran will work for food or something. And I thought, you know, like, why is that? So a couple of times, people were up, they were awake, and so I, I said, hey, um, you know, if you're interested, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee or a breakfast sandwich right up the street, and there was like a McDonald's up there, and, uh, you know, buy a couple things, and my treat, you know, put it in your pocket for later, give it to a friend, whatever, but, you know, what, what are you doing out here? And it took a couple of times asking to get... You know, someone who was originally kind of looking out of the corner of their eye at you, like, what's what's your uh, what's your game here? And I said, well, listen, you know, it's it's like zero degrees out now. I'm freezing. I know you probably are. I'm a veteran, though, so if your sign is accurate, then you're a veteran as well. Let's grab a little chow together, you know, just kind of two, two former military folks just kind of grabbing some chow together. What do you think? And, and so got a couple of folks to come with me. I was happy to provide them something to eat, you know, coffee, whatever. But, you know, what's what's going on? What are you, what are you doing out here? And so they started telling me a story, and I, and, I, and I thought, all right, well, these guys have kind of fallen on hard times. They were bleeding red, white, and blue for the country. So the least we can do is try and get them up out of the street. And so, you know, I, I started formulating the idea of, Maybe there's a way to solve veteran homelessness. Maybe not through the book. I mean, the book. The book will do what, what, what the book does. But you know, I've got a longer-term goal to try and eliminate veteran homelessness in the U.S. Uh, with some concerted effort and maybe using some container homes, small home-type communities. And um, so that's 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 really it. I mean, there's a lot of ideas I'm, about. I, I think there's some ideas over this country where. They buy old properties and they let them go in and do them all up off their own, you know, learn a trade as well as doing their own stuff. And then they get the house at the end of the day. So they put, yes. so all the love they put in, 
obviously they're not going to go out and destroy you know what I mean yeah yes no it's, it, what, what a great idea to get them involved in the process so that you know there's a little pride there I built this yeah that's it's a it's tremendous um you know I know there's like uh, 18 million containers like container share containers like like 10 foot by 10 foot by like 40 or 50 foot and there's only 11 million that are being used so the whole kind of tiny home container home movement could be a great thing uh to exactly what you're saying mark have folks come in maybe help build some of those out and then you know stack them up and then get some veterans off the street into these areas you can bring care into them you know if there's you know, uh, mental health type care that's that's required, or or substance abuse, or whatever it is. Yeah, they learn to train in the process. Love, love that idea. Um, obviously, there are. You say that there are two take two key takeaways from your book. What are they? Yeah, if I had to boil it down, right, ten chapters, a couple of key takeaways. I would say. cases, if you lean forward and you kind of lead from the front, you're going to be in a better position. Um, sitting back and waiting for things to happen is, is never a good recipe for success. Um, so it, it, it's difficult to lead from the rear. When you lead from the front, you've got an unobstructed view of everything in front of you. And then the team can be behind you. Again, if there's any if there's any uh, criticism or whatever that's coming, you can take that for the team, turn around, you know, constructively, kind of share it back with them. But I think if if you're going to put in the effort, my suggestion is lean forward and do what you can to lead from the front. You're going to make some mistakes, but that's great. You know, that's that's how you learn. Learn quickly from those and keep moving. Um, the second one I would say is kind of persistent positive action. Right, it's like a, it's like a plane that that comes up off the, off the runway. It, you know, a lot of energy gets gets taken out or fuel used to get it to altitude, but kind of just maintaining that altitude and, and continuing to push, positively, is a great way to do it. You combine those two things together, lead from the front, persistent positive action. I think it's a winning combination, and um, I would say if if, if Now, obviously, during writing this book, did you learn any new skills while she was writing? Because writing is not an obvious skill as people think it is.
two-page paper or four-page or an eight-page or a 20, or maybe if you get a master's degree or you've got a dissertation of some sort or you have a thesis. But, you know, kind of staying at it for a period of time, working with an editor, um, working with, with a team, uh, Doug, Doug Crow and his team, um, Jen Crow, former Jen Malone, Rika Fuentebella, uh, Ken Yakamoto. These, these folks have all been great. And, and kind of hone down the sharp edges that I've had, Mark. You know, it could come naturally to you. It uh, took a little effort for me. And so I, you know, I was, I'm happy we're on the back end of it. And, and uh, just I learned a tremendous amount in, in the process of just kind of sticking to it. And this is one of those marathons. It's not a sprint. And it's going to take you a little bit of time. So that's, that's probably one of the biggest things. Now, what surprised you the most while you were doing this process? It, that's an insightful question. Um, you know, what's, what surprised me the most? It was uh, a couple of things, probably. One is, you know, I'm getting older. In, in, in that, in that, you know, you look back over a, a career that started really in 1985 when I entered the United States Post Guard Academy all the way up until now you know I was talking 40 years and uh, as you look back you've realized you've covered a lot of ground and you know maybe there's something that you could share with other folks that could help make their journey a little easier right so they don't step on the same landmines that I did and Many of those things are, are, are in the book where, you know, I've, I had a problem or I thought something was going to work out well and it completely unraveled. But in hindsight, you look back at those things and you go, that's kind of what made you who you are today. And again, if there are opportunities to shorten the road for others. And some of those are hard fought, you know, warts that, that, that you've got all over yourself. But, um, you know, some of them could have been avoidable if I if I just kind of stepped back and realized what the uh, environment was. You know, whether it was a military thing or whether it was a a corporate thing. So, you know, some of those learnings were were interesting in that I was um, you know thoughtful in retrospect as to kind of every 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 road I traveled. You know, there was something that I learned. I was appreciative for it. Now, the next question is... I, I always like this one. <laughs> what does the title of your boat actually mean? Yes, yeah. Leadership from the front lines. Um, and not only is it the first chapter of the book, but it's, it's a... I think it's a point of view or a perspective so that if you're going to lead I would lead from the front um, you know there are plenty of, of uh, maybe military examples of, of leaders that are strategic, they're, they're leading from the rear, uh, you know generals, admirals that are you know directing the troops but my, my thinking is if you want to get to where the action is you, you roll up your sleeves and you get up front and you lead. And it's not going to be a, uh, 
you know, everything's rainbows and unicorns and it's going to be rosy the whole time. No, there, there's going to be some issues. But the thing is, um, that's probably where I learned the most, right up front. And, um, you know, I was happy to be there, so I thought, all right, maybe, maybe that's how we start this whole thing off. And uh, we call it leadership from the front lines. You know, everyone has a front line somewhere in their life. And so you stand up, you lean forward, and you start moving ahead. And that's how you get things done. That's how you learn. You make some mistakes, but you just keep moving. Are you going to do any sort of like um, abstract or something like a, a video, YouTube video about like... Um, because that's what some people do, don't they? They do like a little trailer for their book or a little yes. extra for their book. I think it's a good idea because then you get a little feel for it. You don't have to do much. You only can do like a part of a chapter or something, you know, just to get people involved. Great, great idea. Someone else suggested that to me, but someone, you know, of, of your background, Mark, who's, who's done, you know, many, many, many of these uh, it's a super suggestion. So, yeah, maybe uh, maybe I'll I'll do a quick, you know, forty five seconds kind of minute. Yes, yeah, do a little short, little YouTube short. Like they're very popular. They're very popular YouTube shorts. Excellent. Yeah, I, I uh, I'll, I'll definitely do it. You know what I'll do is uh, you know I've been following you for a while. Maybe what I'll do is uh, go back and, and and see some of yours, and that could give me a good framework for it. Don't do my horror one. I think I think people won't be, that might confuse them about the book. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Why is why is he trying to scare us? Why does he have a mask on? <laughs> right. Um. Right. Wait. 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 Uh, da, 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 da. Now, obviously, you had you've been told us about your setbacks. Um, yes. Your leadership things. Now, obviously, you've written this book now. It's coming out soon. Yeah. Are you going to do a follow-up, or have you got, a, like, a podcast in line, or uh, something else along the lines that you might extend connected to the book? You know, it's, uh, it's an excellent question, Mark. I was thinking... side of uh, Philadelphia uh, in the state of Pennsylvania here East Coast US and um, we've got a number of homeless folks here in the greater Philadelphia region and Philadelphia where it's situated it's near uh, New Jersey, it's right across the river from New Jersey, it's very close to Delaware and in kind of this tri-state area there's a number of, of homeless veterans that we have I was considering on, on the weekends just kind of getting mic'd up and going, you know, man on the street. And and if folks wanted to talk about their story and why they were out here on the on the street, there's over sixty thousand veterans right now, uh, former military folks, men and women, sometimes families that are on the street. So there's over sixty thousand, and some of the statistics I've, I've read have talked about one point four million being at risk. So it'd be good to understand what the root cause of that is. Yeah, I think what you should do is do like um, a pre sort of going out there saying this is my idea, 
I want to come up to you and it's, if you don't want to talk about certain things it will not be discussed but, but it's just a general you know why you know why do you think you need to get get out of this system because once you're in the system it's very difficult to get out because hey, you haven't got an address and you haven't got an address you can't get a job if you haven't got a job you can't get an address blah 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 it's a yes. vicious circle yeah 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 that's the yeah, lines I would say Okay, yeah. and what happened then? And then what happened before that? You know, to understand again, what's the root cause? What, what's why are you here? I think you'll find a lot of it is down to the fact, like you were saying, you about you had a very good military career, and sometimes you know this yourself. Some people can't cope once they come out of the military with what they call civilian life, because you've no longer got the structure behind you. You know what I'm yes. saying? You, you know, as a ex-military person, you know what I'm on about. 100%, yeah. The, the structure that was kind of a comfort for you sometimes in the military, to your point, no longer exists. So no one's telling me when to get up in the morning. No one's telling me when I can eat, what I'm doing for the day. And so left unstructured sometimes that can have an impact on people and, and their decision making and it, it, I, I bet you that's a huge part of it Mark I, I just uh, be good to kind of kind of drill upstream into this thing and understand when they're leaving the military what's happening are they leaving with jobs who's not why not um, are there still kind of mental health issues that aren't being addressed I think the Veterans Administration here, the VA, that does a decent job in the U.S., and I think they're getting more and more kind of focused on the customer, if you can say that. The customer meaning the folks that are in the in the service. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I expect I'll, I'll learn quite a bit. So um, I, I think I was thinking of a podcast, but uh, I, I've got to take a look at the time constraints there because uh, I'm still full-time here at, uh, at Accenture. Well, well, you could do a podcast, and this is what I do, so you don't have to do what I do. I, all my podcasts I do are from my mobile phone on my tablet, and I can pre-record them. Either just nice. use, using an audio tape, you know, just audio MP3 or anything. If you want a free use of a podcast, it's free, uh, totally free, and it's quite easy to set up, I recommend Anchor FM. They're very easy to set up. It's very once you get a few episodes, they sometimes say they they might put it on other things for you like uh, Spotify and stuff like that. But they're very they're, they're one of the easiest to set up. It's totally free and it's is American based as well. And you can also if you get popular um, get money back. You get money on it. You know, earn from advertising. I can't because I live in the UK, but. In America, you can. All right, that's great. Yeah, excellent suggestion. Thank you, sir. Uh, appreciate that. Anchor FM. I'll look yeah. into it. Well, it's worth a go because then you can do it at your own pace. Because you might have yeah. five minutes in the office one day, thinking, "Oh, I'll do a ten-minute introduction." You know, you don't you don't have to do half an hour specials, or you know, it yeah. doesn't. I always say it doesn't have to be all singing, dancing, whistles. 
because at the yeah. end of the day it's you talking to someone else and you cannot guarantee how many people are going to listen to you you it it's you know sometimes you get one person and sometimes you get 300 people it, it all depends the subject matter and how popular you become yes that's it's great advice and th- thank you for that much appreciated that's all right and uh, um obviously you've got a family life and obviously kids and grandkids and whatever fitting that end of your job and your writing um do you find it difficult to do all these things at once or do you uh, because of your training you can slot it in you know i think you create the time no one has the time to get everything done but you create the time for the things that are the most important in your life and you know time's not going to magically appear so you, you need to carve it out and so I end up trying to set 20, 25-minute sprints on certain things. And, um, you know, I can generally slot a number of things in. And, you know, some some people ask, uh, you know, Craig, what's your 9-to-5 job, right? What's your 9-to-5? I And 9-to-5 is no longer 9-to-5, right? It's 8-to-5, it's 7-to-5, it's 7-to-6, it's you know as the as the day kind of extends on either end but my question to um other folks is especially when they want to have a big impact is you know what's your five to nine what are you what are you doing over and above what's expected of you especially if you want to try and make a difference so you know nine to five what's your five to nine because we're calling six to nine or seven to nine whenever you get done you need some focus time to for yourself, uh, and then wind down time before you can get some sleep, get the rack, so well, to speak. But well, um, well, Craig, tell people about where to get your book and the title of your book again, and obviously any websites or anything else you wish to mention. All right, Mark. Thanks for that. So the, the book will be available on Amazon. Uh, it'll also be available. You'll probably get redirected. The book, again, the title of it is Leadership from the Frontlines. If you go to all one word, leadershipfromthefrontlines.com, you can drop your email address in and you'll find out exactly the day that the book launches. It'll be somewhere in the next, uh, call it two weeks to three weeks. Um, so Leadership from the Frontlines, leadershipfromthefrontlines.com, drop your email address in and it'll be available either there uh, or you can find it uh, on Amazon. And obviously, um, if people wish to contact you about any questions or about the uh, veteran homelessness in any shape or form, you wouldn't mind them contacting you by email. Don't you have to mention your email if you don't want to. But, um, no, I, I, I wouldn't mind at all. I wouldn't mind at all. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to you when I can. You know, it might not be immediately, uh, just because I've I've got a, a day job and I and make sure that uh, you know I'm able to to drive value there for for Accenture and the customers that we have. But um, yeah, I, I will I will respond back to you and and probably the the best email address is um, leadership from the front lines at gmail.com. And I wish you luck in um, helping the veterans because I think it's important that we remember especially when we go every armistice day 
and remembrance day we remember the people that died for us because they gave us our freedoms and sometimes we think we forget that i mean you look at ukraine now if we wasn't helping them the way we were helping them they wouldn't be in the situation they would be in now whatever the politics Shit, lad. 